0: Or, I don't know, happened to come in off the streets of the campus somehow or another. You don't know what we've been up to. Um, that was a joke. I don't think many people walk through the streets the streets of our campus here. But uh, if you're new with us, uh, we are in a series in Matthew, um, and we're coming toward the end of Matthew uh, in these final moments of Jesus' life, very familiar moments. Um, and so the, the scripture, we're in chapter 26. Um, and you have in your outline there. We're going to just take a couple snapshots. Uh, these these are familiar, as I say. Jesus is is going to be put on trial. He's going to be betrayed, arrested, put on trial, um, and sentenced to death. So um, so let, let me let me read the scripture for us. This is uh, starting in in Matthew 26 verse 47. If you have a Bible with you, it's It would be good if you have it open to these two chapters, too. There's just just a lot going on, a lot to see. Um, So, uh, verse 27. While he was still speaking, that's uh, Jesus. Jesus is still speaking. Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now, the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man arrest him going at once to Jesus Judas said greetings rabbi and kissed him Jesus replied do what you came for friend then the man the men stepped forward seized Jesus and arrested him with that one of Jesus's companions reached for his sword drew it out and struck the servant of the high priest cutting off his ear put your sword back in its place Jesus said to him But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. And then um, jumping to verse, verse 69. <clears throat> now Peter was sitting out in the courtyard, and a servant girl came to him. You also were with Jesus of Galilee, she said. But he denied it before them all. I, I don't know what you're talking about, he said. Then he went out to the gateway where another servant girl saw him and said to the people there, this fellow was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denied it again with an oath. I don't know the man. After a little while, while those uh, standing there went up to Peter and said, surely you are one of them. Your accent gives you away. Then he began to call down curses and he swore to them, I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed. Then Peter remembered the word Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. This is the word of the Lord. Um, uh, There's sort of an ongoing threat that you should be aware of as you read the Gospels, particularly Matthew. Um, It's the threat of how being a religious person can drive you away from Jesus. Um, and, and the, we see that again and again and again. And so if you're here this morning, um, I, I, I hate to break this to you, but you're somewhat of a religious person in some form or another. Um, and, and, and that's a good thing. I'm glad that you're here. It's a good thing to gather together with God's people. But there's a, there's a, there's a threat that, um, as we read the Gospels, we should be aware of. Um, being religious, being a part of a faith community, um, can in some ways drive you to betray and disown Jesus. Uh, that gap can form. Um, it doesn't have to. I'm not saying it, it absolutely will, but it's, it's something to be, we should be aware of as we read the Gospels. Uh, and so, so the, uh, what, what I think we can, we can think about then as we look at this passage is, is how does that gap happen, um, and how does Jesus uh, bring us back? How does he help us to to not turn our backs on him? um, To not stray from him? Or to not perceive that he has turned his back on us or strayed from us? Uh, So so Jesus in this scene, he's he's with his disciples um, and he's approached by this crowd of people. It's described in the various gospel accounts in various ways. Um, What we know is that the crowd would have been made up of a collection of different people, there's a temple guard there, um, uh, so sort of a, a security team there from the temple, um, and, and as Mark mentioned last week, there would have been a detachment of Roman soldiers there. The Passover festival would have brought a lot of people to Jerusalem, um, and Rome was understandably, um, or not understandably, they, they were nervous about about what might take place um, in the city when you gather lots of people together. Uh, just like if you go down to the Made, Made in America concert, which I know is now canceled, but j- there's something about the gathering a lot of people that 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 the organizers say, "Hey, we should probably have some security around." People are kind of of a nature where you put a lot of them together, and sometimes bad stuff happens. Um, so so there's this there's a heightened security around uh, around the, the city, and and um, the, the 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 people have have stirred up enough of Pilate's concern to send a Roman detachment of soldiers to Jesus. Uh, and they come upon Jesus in this garden. And, and the description is they come with swords and clubs. Uh, and it's, it's quite a scene. You know, I, I, if you're like me, you're, you're, you're imagining sort of pitchforks and torches as well. You know, it's sort of that, that rabble of people coming to, to, uh, to storm the gates of a city. Um, It's something like that. It seems like a little bit of a mob coming to take on Jesus. And it's quite a contrast because think about what this group of armed people are coming upon. They're they're stumbling upon or they're coming upon Jesus in the garden. Um, And what has just happened with Jesus? He's just been anointed for death by by a generous act that we saw last week. A woman has poured uh, a perfume on him to anoint him for death. Uh, So you can imagine perhaps Jesus is a bit fragrant. In, in, from that. Um, he, he is, all, Jesus is also just part of what's going on in his group. So, armed group ready to arrest Jesus over here. Part of what's happening over here in Jesus' group is he's just notified everybody that two of them will totally turn their back on him. So, things aren't going so well in Jesus' group. Um, he, he's just come out of sweating blood in prayer because he's so distraught over what he will face next. Um, and during that time, if you remember, the disciples could not stay awake. Uh, they couldn't hang out with Jesus. They couldn't keep their eyes open. Uh, Judas arrives armed to the teeth um, with, with, a, with a secret code, right? A sign prepared, ready to arrest. And Jesus' band is sort of in a bit of disarray. Uh, this does not appear to be the group that's going to bring good news and save the world. Uh, it, it, might be, you know, it might be a little bit like if we all, after the service, went outside um, and the Philadelphia Eagles football team was there, and we're like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to take them on. Um, we're going to win. Uh, it, it would, it would not, I love you all. It would not go well, right? It would be a bad scene. Um, and, and Jesus even points out how strange it is that this armed group is coming to, to take him. Uh, in verse 55, he, he says, am I, re, am I leading a rebellion that you've come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Um, it's, it's a strange way to come upon Jesus who, who has not at any point, uh, if you're paying attention, if you're understanding him, uh, been, been acting like he's going to lead a violent rebellion or that you're going to need swords and clubs to arrest him. And strangeness is kind of the mark of this whole passage. Uh, the, the, this occurrence in the garden is a bit strange because of that, um, uh, the, the preceding encounter, the, the following encounter with the Sanhedrin is strange, right? They, they sort of are set on raising up these false charges against Jesus. They can't really get any of them to stick. Um, they, they kind of make up some words that Jesus said and said, see there he said it. And, and it, it's a strange trial. It's, it's not even clear during the trial exactly what they're angry at Jesus for. Um, the, his encounter with Pilate later on in the next chapter is, is, is also very strange, they sort of are doing this like little uh, dancing around what is truth. They're having this sort of philosophical discussion. Um, Pilate really doesn't understand why Jesus is there. You know, at one point he says, I, don't, I can't find anything that this guy's done wrong. Uh, it's all kind of a strange scene. Uh, everyone seems to be intent upon abandoning Jesus or, or executing him. Uh, it's thought to be dangerous to be associated with him. And and there's a thought that allowing him to continue on is, is unacceptable, but, but no one can really, the, the account really doesn't tell us why. Have you noticed that? No one can just come out and say, here's why we need to stop this guy. Um, what's, what's, what's going on? What, why, why is this? It, it, it just struck me as I read it over and over again this week how... how Cl- how, um, how unclear it is why this is happening at this time and place. Matthew doesn't go into great detail for us. What's going on? Um, well, uh, I, I just pull back for a moment. I, there's, um, there's sort of a, a human problem going on. Um, it's a problem that we all, we all face uh, today. Uh, and, and I'd like to borrow some of uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, imagery to help us. Uh, I've been reading uh, through his uh, Mere Christianity uh, lately, and and he he identifies something that is wrong with the human machine. Uh, And it's a picture that has to do with with a fleet of ships. So maybe this is familiar to you. Um, What Lewis says in in the book is that that what's wrong with the human machine? Here's how he describes it. One problem is when humans uh, drift apart from each other or else collide with one another, and then they do damage to one another by, like, cheating or bullying each other, right? This is sort of familiar. This is your, your generic, like, hey, um, we ran into each other. A friend was mean to me. I was mean to my sibling. Um, somebody cheated you at work, told a lie about you, right? We, one one problem we have is we just run into each other or we drift apart from each other. Uh, the other part, way that we can go wrong, the human machine goes wrong, the human person goes wrong, is something goes wrong inside of us, Uh it's when, when our different parts of us drift apart or interfere with each other. Um, so you, you know something about this a little bit. Um, if, if you're experiencing any sort of physical, internal problems, right, physical health, um, maybe you're emotionally, you find yourself divided and a wreck inside of yourself. Uh, this week I have I've been, hey, you can pray for me. I'm, I'm like suffering from insomnia for the first time. So uh, my body is, is colliding with itself. I can't sleep, and I'm an emotional wreck. So you know, don't, don't push me too far, because I'm going to fall to pieces. You know? uh, this is another problem we have as people, right? We, it's not about other people. It's totally I'm a collision within myself right now. Um, so, so C.S. Lewis goes on to say, to think of humanity as a fleet of ships sailing in formation. Um, what makes the voyage successful is if the ships do not collide, um, or get in each other's way, and secondly, if each ship is seaworthy and has their engines in good order. right? You following with me? That's how humanity goes well. No collision, um, and, and everything is going right on the inside. And, and the, what he goes on to say is, of course, that um, you, you, you cannot have either of these two things without the other. So the way you keep ships from having a collision is, is, um, is by having a good working engine right inside. And likewise, if ships are colliding, uh, the good working engine won't last very long. You guys tracking with me? Okay. So, um, so if maybe ships aren't your thing, if you're a musician, he he also talks about the same thing with with a with a band, right? Humanity is a band playing a tune. Um, each individual instrument must be in tune, but also each must come in at the right moment, so as not to to combine with all the others, right, or to collide with all the others. All that seems fairly obvious, um, but there's one other thing that I think gives us insight to this passage that that Lewis lays out. He says, we we often forget to identify the most important piece of information about the fleet of ships or about the the band playing together. Uh, We we have not asked, he goes on to say, what we've not asked is where is the fleet trying to get to? It's a critical piece of information. Uh, What music is the band actually trying to play? Uh, You could have instruments in the right tune. They might all come at the right moment. But he says the performance would not be a success if they were supposed to be playing dance music and they're actually just playing dead marches. Uh, Likewise, the fleet sailing on a voyage, it would be a failure if they were meant to reach New York, but they actually arrived in Calcutta. That, that's, that, that's actually what's going on in this passage. Uh, that, that's the collision of the violence and the betrayal that's happening. Uh, it doesn't actually occur because um, Jesus is nicer than other people and people aren't as nice as Jesus. Uh, it's not like so much a bad guys against good guys kind of a thing. Um, it's not because Judas or the Sanhedrin or Pilate don't have any morals at all. Right? They're not just like completely amoral um, and so they collide with Jesus who is moral. Uh, the point of conflict actually um, of course some of that is true right i'm not saying right but 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 the the, the driving force of this collision of Jesus with all these people um, is is about where Jesus is headed the direction the destination that Jesus is headed toward is that conflict with everyone around him uh, the, the kingdom that Jesus is bringing in is, utter, is incomprehensible to Judas, um, even to Peter at this point, to the, certainly the Sanhedrin and Pilate. Uh, and, and even though they don't really understand where Jesus is going, they have enough sense to know that, that accepting Jesus will cause some sort of collision. right? So think about it. Um, Judas accepting Jesus, if Judas accepts Jesus, it's going to mean that Judas has to totally transform the way he thinks about money and about life. Um, if the Sanhedrin accept Jesus, it means they're going to have to accept a total sacrifice probably of their spiritual authority. There's a collision there. They're also going to have to give up their, their temple side hustle, right, where they're making money on the side of the temple. Uh, If Pilate accepts Jesus, it means he's probably going to give up some of his political authority and probably some of the peace that he's he's holding that makes him look good in front of his higher-ups. Peter, most clearly, if Peter accepts Jesus, if Peter wants to roll with Jesus' direction, it will likely mean his certain death, his physical death in that moment, right? That's why he denies him. He sees where Jesus is going. He says, I'm not ready for that. Hence the betrayal. Uh, Jesus is, is delivered over to execution, not as a good guys versus bad guys, not as a failure of good morals or religious observation. Uh, it's a failure to imagine a kind of kingdom that is not of this world that, that would make the claim on any other kind of power than that which is won by the sword. Jesus is headed elsewhere. Jesus is headed elsewhere. And, um, and just as an aside, this is actually, um, it's a really good way to, to think about what sin is. Uh, we, we, we're tempted often to, to kind of narrow sin down to the, 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 the bad things that we do. And, of course, those are sins. Um, but, but, but then it's, it starts to get really small, right? Like, I, I sinned today because I told that lie. Um, but Sin, sin has a, a deeper, wider, Scripture gives a deeper, wider understanding of what sin is. Uh, it doesn't begin and end in the realm of our deeds. Uh, here's, here's what Richard Lovelace, here's how he defines sin. He says, Sin cannot be limited to isolated instance, instances or patterns of wrongdoing. It is something much more akin to an organic network of compulsive attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors deeply rooted in our alienation from God. Sinful thoughts, words, and deeds flow forth from this darkened heart automatically and compulsively as water from a polluted fountain." Uh, and uh, just, just to kind of put like some, make this a little bit more tactile, right? Uh, you you know what it is like to, to go to your job and do all the right things, and, and yet be utterly opposed to the place you're working at. Um, uh, maybe if you've worked at a place that you don't enjoy, I should say, <laughs> maybe you've had the pleasure of never having that experience. I hope that's true. Um, certainly, I know, I'll confess, I know what it's like to be a husband and, to, um, and to, to do all the right things and not visibly sin against my wife and yet be at odds with her throughout a day, right? The, the, the direction of my heart, the desires of my heart were actually running opposed even though I sort of checked all the boxes, Uh, that There's a deeper well, right? A deeper direction of our hearts and our facing um, that sin is, is concerned with. And that's, that's what's going on. That's the, that's the well that comes to execute. That's the flow of water that comes to execute Jesus. And so the, the good news about Jesus is not just that we have a way to manage our sin or keep ourselves from doing certain bad things. Although walking with Jesus does do that, understand me, brothers and sisters. Um, it's why we don't define Christian as, as a nice person who sins less than the people around them. There's there's a deeper facing. Where are we headed? That is at the heart of sin. What kingdom are we are we facing? And heading toward. Uh, so, so where? So, it might be helpful then to, to tease that out a little bit more. Where is Jesus headed? Uh, what what do we see from this passage? Where Where is he actually going, and why is that so hard and at odds with, with Peter, with Judas, with all all the who betray him? Uh, Jesus is heading in an obedience to a to an end that is greater than just these, these few bits of, of, of narrative. Uh, and you see it, Jesus alludes to it uh, several times in the passage. Um, in, uh, it, when, G, when Peter strikes the, uh, the servant with a sword, um, what does Jesus say in verse 52? He says, "'Put your sword back in its place,' Jesus said to him, "'for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. "'Do you think I cannot call on my Father, "'and he will at once put at my disposal "'more than twelve legions of angels?' And then verse 54, he says, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? Um, and then again, later on, when the Sanhedrin are trying to charge him with, um, with false crimes, Jesus says, uh, he says, he says, I charge you under, oh, this is the, the high priest says to him, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you're the Messiah, the son of God. And verse 64, you have said so, Jesus replied, but I say to all of you, <laughs> Jesus is like, I, I mean, there would be just several times you were hanging around Jesus and be like, what? Like, he just says stuff because he's, he's just operating, he's heading toward a different location, right? Listen to what he says in reply. But I say to you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man. This is an allusion to Daniel 7, a, a vision of a, of, a, of a figure that comes to, to chase away all that is evil and dark in the world. From now on, you will see the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, sitting at the right hand of the Mighty One and coming on the clouds of heaven. He says, the scriptures must be fulfilled. He says, there's a greater end that's coming. These are the things that Jesus is facing toward. This is the destination he's heading. Jesus gives himself up. He's silent before his accusers to the end, to an end that moved him to sweat blood at the thought of it. It is a direction that all of scripture has been anticipating. A facing that cuts against every other human intention. Jesus is heading toward an obedience to death. A death that gives life. Um, it's a death that, that we need. There's uh, there's a lot that we can do um, without yielding to God. That's kind of what the story of Babel is, uh, the Tower of Babel is about. The humanity can construct and do many wonderful things without yielding our hearts to God. Uh, we can work harmoniously together to construct things, but, but the one thing that we cannot do by ourselves is we cannot turn from being people who are set upon serving and worshiping ourselves to serving and worshiping God. We, we, we can't by ourselves change our bearings. We cannot, no matter how nicely we've kept our ship in good order, we can't actually change the direction that we're sailing in by ourselves. Uh, to do that actually requires a death in us. You, you have to die to change the destination you're heading toward. And that's, that's the death that Jesus is obedient to. That's the death, death that Jesus enters. He yields up his life so that when we come to him, we can die that death as well. We gain from his death the ability to die to sin as well. So you can see on one hand why Jesus is so threatening. Uh, He he set his face. (laughs) On the one hand, everyone else is sailing. If we would go back to the boats, boats are setting to, where do you want to go? Where's your dream vacation spot? My boat is set to Maui. I want to build a beautiful, per- perfect paradise in my life, right? Um, I, want to go, I want to go to Maine, right? That's the kind of life I want to head toward, a place, you know, it's beautiful, it's restful. What, what is, what's the direction that your life is set toward? What is all you're doing and working and parenting and loving and getting up in the morning? Wh- where, what is the city at which your ship is set toward? And whatever answer to your question is, I'm sure it's better than Jesus' answer on its face because Jesus says, my destination is death. Why, why don't you follow me there? And you can see why everyone's like, no thanks, I'm good. Now, now we begin to see why people flee from him. But, the, but the, only way, the only way you're going to be able to change the direction that you're heading in, brothers and sisters, the one that, that truly is a death, is by entering into the death of Jesus, by following him as he's obedient to death. And so, so what, where does that, where's that hope for us then today as, as I close? Um, what does it look like for us to, to follow Jesus and go where he's going? Well, um, uh, just, just, let's just consider Peter quickly. Um, I kind of love Peter because uh, there, it's hard to imagine what somebody could do to more disqualify themselves from, from being a part of the church. Uh, he's, he's, he's a beautiful picture of failure um, in every sense of the word. But, but the surprising grace for us, if, if we believe that that's what Jesus is bringing us in his death, the surprising grace for us in the story of Peter um, is that it's actually not, we're not supposed to read it as Christians and learn a lesson from Peter. Like, hey, here's how you don't mess up, Right? Um, be better than Peter. Don't do what Peter did. You know, the scripture's not like wagging its finger at you saying that. Uh, if, if you just read like a sliver of the passage, you might get that. But, but Peter's story um, actually reminds us that, that, remember, Jesus knew all along that that's exactly what Peter was going to do. From beginning to end, he told him exactly what was going to happen. And in the Luke's account, you know that strange part in Luke where when Peter denies Jesus, it says that Jesus looked at Peter, like he looked at him right in the face when he did it? But what we see in in Peter is that Jesus knew his denial, and yet he didn't flinch in heading toward death for Peter. So what Peter needs is not just to get back to being a nicer, more loyal person He needs a doorway through which he can leave behind his old life so he can live toward the kingdom of Jesus. Peter needs a death. And when he passes through that death, he now lives facing a God under the unrelenting gaze of his love who knows Peter through and through and through and accepts him completely. Peter becomes a, um, a famous betrayer living in the freedom of the kingdom. Peter has a a new orientation, a new direction, a new destination. Peter doesn't need to be nicer or more loyal or more peaceful. He needs a new course. And the good news is that for us this morning, for you this morning, Jesus will enter into that death, inviting you into the kingdom, knowing that you will betray him seven times seventy you, will, you are a betrayer running around under the unrelenting, loving gaze of God. That's the life that we receive when we, when we turn and we enter into death with Jesus. It's, it's good news about who God is. This is, um, this is what, what Eugene Peterson uh, spells out for us in that quote there. He says, uh, the gospel has nothing to do with hopeful, brave, encouraging words we use to bolster each other through hard times, and cheer one another on. It is good news about God. Right? Because the, the, there's, no, there's no thing that, can you imagine the rest of the disciples coming back together? Like, how are they going to encourage each other? Well, get him next time, guys. You know? Um, it's all right. You betrayed him. He only died. Like, what are you going to say? You know, there's no, like, you know, just trying to lift their spirits kind of language. It's the only thing they have to offer each other. The only thing we have to offer one another is good news about the Lord this morning. This good news drives out the bad news every time. What bad news? Anything we can name. Anything that you can name as bad news in your life this morning. And I say that knowing many of the bad things that you carry. None of those things we fear or suffer are untrue, but none has the power to center our lives or dominate our emotions or control our destiny. God does that. Anyone who tells us something different is lying to us. So, um, but just, I just want to leave you with the, the image um, that the Lord has given me this week. I, I've, I've wrestled to kind of apply this to my life, um, and the worship team can come forward. Um, I, I don't know how to live with that, that like, new destination uh, of facing where Jesus is facing. Uh, I'll just tell you two things quickly that, that have helped me. Looking and knowing that I'm heading toward Jesus' death and the life that he'll give has just made me more patient. I've, I've, I've been able to stand and listen to people longer, which might feel like a strange application of it, but somehow knowing <laughs> that, that I'm heading towards something grander or more beautiful, um, both now and in the future, has just helped me listen to people better. Uh, so I don't know, maybe check your, what's going on in your heart when you're listening to somebody. Uh, the other thing, the, the other image that the Lord has given me is just, is just a, a turning of my shoulders, it's that question of like, where am I facing? What, what destination am I heading toward? A- am I heading toward the same destination that Jesus is going in this passage? Am I heading toward death with him and then life again? So just consider that in prayer this morning um, and this week. Think about, think about your, your heading. Where are you, what are you facing? Lord, would you help us with this? Um, would you help us to, to understand um, that our, our lives are facing relentlessly always toward preserving ourselves, building our own kingdom. But Lord, we know the truth of your word tells us that that is a fruitless orientation. That is a, that is a destination that will lead to death. So, Lord, we pray, would you help us just turn our shoulders, just even a little bit this week, to, to, to follow you in the place you're going. Thank you that you delight in us. Thank you that you're patient with us. Lord, uh, may we hear that invitation to follow you. Take, Lord, and receive all our liberty, all our memory, all our understanding, all our entire will, all that we have and all that we call our own. You have given it to us. To you, Lord, we return it. Everything is yours. Do with it what you will, we pray. Give us only your love and your grace. That will be enough for us. Praise sings in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's let's stand together and sing.